everybody. Welcome to the Break It Up podcast. This is my dad's show. I hope you don't get buttered. This show has a lot of opinions. Some you might agree with, and some you won't. This show is not suitable for children. My name is Adrian, and welcome to the show. Alright, guys, thank you for joining the Break It Up podcast. This is episode one. Uh, I'm really excited to share this with you guys. Um, uh, today's first episode is a good one to get kicked off with. Um, today is the episode with Libertarian Chairman Nicholas Sarwark. Um, I will be playing that interview here in just a moment. Uh, I just want to kick off the first podcast by telling you guys a little bit about the podcast. The Break It Up podcast is a format in which I will be trying to discuss options outside of controversial issues. Uh, Many issues that we have going on are black and white issues. At least that's what people want you to think. My goal is to find third options. My goal is to go to the source of controversial issues, uh, get people's uh, input on different issues that may know more than what we know or what the people that are trying to tell us. People are trying to tell us maybe stuff that they don't know the facts about. Um, As you can tell, I don't know how to talk very well. I'm hoping that's going to be something that gets a little bit better as I do these. Um, Once again, thank you guys for sticking around with this. I hope you guys enjoy the interview that I got going. And here's the interview. All right, so this is the Break It Up podcast. Uh, This is Adam Jewell. I got my first guest. Um, He's my new best friend. He doesn't know it yet. Um, I got Nicholas Sarwark, the chairman of the Libertarian Party. So thank you for coming and being on the show. Thank you for having me on. Um, Can you give me a little bit of, um, just tell me a little bit about who you are, your history with the Libertarian Party, and um, and, uh, just a little bit about yourself, just to tell the people about you. Yeah, so um, I, I was... I realized I was a libertarian probably when I was about 12 years old. Uh, my father had brought me to some uh, county party meetings here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I read some of the books that he had on his bookshelf and said, you know, that makes sense to me. And so uh, when I got out of college back in uh, 98, I joined the Libertarian Party, got active in the Maryland Party, um, was state chair there for a little while, and uh, was active in the Colorado Party. I uh, was the vice chair there uh, when we lived there, and in 2014 ran for national party chair and was elected and just got reelected for the second time in New Orleans uh, just in July. So I'm going into my third term as national committee chair. Uh, it's kind of the only political party I've ever been a part of, uh, which makes me a little rarer than most. I think most people in the party come from somewhere else politically uh, before they find their, their true home. And uh, I'm married. I have four little kids, uh, seven, six, three, and uh, two months. And um, small business owner running for mayor of Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, you know, that's it in a nutshell. So a family man, obviously, with uh, four kids. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of kids, like you mentioned when – you kind of 
got introduced in or introduced the Libertarian Party at the young age. Did you say twelve? About is when you kind of yeah, somewhere ten, eleven, twelve. You know, it gets kind of fuzzy back then. <laughs> so how does how do you how does a twelve year old let's just say that's the age we're gonna go with how do you like decide um, I mean that's kind of a big decision at that age I mean when I was twelve I was concerned about Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z I wasn't really um, looking towards my uh, political party at the time so I mean how did that appeal to you at such a young age you know uh, when I was a kid I was probably I read everything, you know, that was kind of how I absorbed the world was I would read a lot of stuff and my dad was involved in the Libertarian Party and he had a copy of um, David Berglund's book, uh, Libertarianism in One Lesson. It's a short book. If you can find a copy, it's worth picking up. But it just kind of breaks down the whole idea underlying libertarianism that uh, you have a right to pursue happiness any way that you choose, as long as you don't hurt other people and you don't take their stuff. You know, you let other people live their lives and you live your own life. And as long as you're peaceful, um, that works. You know, it's, it's this idea of everybody's okay living their own lives. And that makes sense to me even when I'm 12. You know, some of the more, I don't know, there's probably more complicated stuff that's hard to explain to a kid. <laughs> But I think that, you know, that's one of the problems that the two old parties have is they end up doing a lot of stuff or having policies that are openly contradictory or don't really fit in with the values that people are, are raised on. And then you have to jump into these sort of contortions to make it make sense. Like, why am I supporting that guy even though I was raised to believe one thing and he's doing the opposite thing? Oh, He's part of my party, so I guess I should just support him anyway, you know. And I think the last election, you saw a lot of that. You saw a lot of people who uh, had lived their lives and claimed to have certain values supporting candidates who didn't share those values at all. And they would twist themselves all around saying, well, you know, I mean, values are important, but... You know, we can't let that other person win. And it just, it, with libertarianism, you don't have to do that as much because the party and the principles and the platform all line up with what most Americans already believe. And kind of going off that is that I kind of, I personally, and obviously this interview is not about me, but <laughs> I kind of came into the libertarian, uh, I guess, uh, the party and, uh, the, the philosophy probably 2013, 2014. And, you know, during the 2012 election, that was like the first election I was able to vote, but I chose not to. And I remember I was getting really into politics, but, um, you know, I just could not support any of the candidates then that I knew of. You know, I was like a lot of people, I thought the choice was either Mitt Romney or Barack Obama. And I, I just could not support either one of them. I did, it didn't make sense to me to do that. And then, I mean, I was pretty vocal with a lot of people and about how upset I was at the choices. And I was given the same um, uh, feedback that I'm sure you've heard plenty of times when it comes to uh, the voting process that, well, if you don't vote, you can't complain or you have to pick one of them. And, mm -hmm. But nothing was ever, you know, I was never... I guess, introduced to 
the third party candidates, you know, like at the time Gary Johnson was running under the libertarian, uh, libertarian party ticket, um, and had, but like I said, I wasn't aware of what that was, but after researching it, I found that that party had so much middle ground to it because I always agreed with certain things on the liberal side and certain things on the conservative side, but I could never swing one way or the other. And I hate the whole thing of uh, vote for the lesser of two evils. And I think we saw that a lot in 2016 um, between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Um, so kind of stemming off of that, what were the the biggest issues um, that the Libertarian Party um, and, and like even the Green Party, I mean, they came in fourth when it came overall, but why is it so difficult for these other parties, you know, third parties, fourth parties, independent candidates, why is it so difficult for them to get credibility um, in the United States right now? Because the two old parties cheat with both hands to keep anyone who is competitive out of the political discourse. And here's the here's the thing. Do you have do you have like a convenience store in town where they sell sandwiches? You got sandwiches and a little, you know, refrigerated cooler, you can get a sandwich at lunchtime. Oh, yeah. Yep. Alright, so let's say you go down to this convenience store and you've got this sort of like dried up, weak old a little bit of mold, but you can probably scrape it off, ham sandwich. And next to it, you've got, you know, uh, dried up, but it's on brown bread. Also a little bit of mold, but it's it's a turkey sandwich, and it's got cheese, and the other one didn't have cheese. And you're standing there in that convenience store, and you're like, man, uh, you know, do I want to risk the turkey or the ham? Like, they're both kind of gross, but I'm hungry. And outside rolls up a taco truck. <laughs> and you can smell the tacos. You can smell the sizzling fajita meat. And you're like, man, that's good. Of course, the convenience store owner is going to be like, no, you can't go to the taco truck. you got to pick one of my multi sandwiches. <laughs> that's what the two-party system is. It's basically Republicans and Democrats don't care who actually wins. And they pretend. They just want to make sure that you don't choose better options. You know, it's kind of like uh, the NFL. They don't care whether you're, you know, uh, a Broncos fan or a Raiders fan, right? As long as you watch the games. What they get real upset about is that you turn into a soccer fan. That makes them lose their minds. That's the two-party system, is they want to keep you playing a game that is is rigged. And the beauty of the Libertarian Party and voting Libertarian is you let go of that fear that something worse is going to happen, that one sandwich has more mold than the other sandwich. And you go, no, I'm just going to get tacos. And, I mean, you guys have your sandwiches. That's cool. You don't get into fights about it. You just go have your tacos. And then more and more of us have the tacos, and eventually... You know, either the sandwiches get better or the convenience store goes out of business. I have to backtrack to when you were mentioning the NFL. Now, I know you said you're from Maryland. Does that make you a Ravens fan? No, I was born in Phoenix. Oh, Phoenix. Um, okay, I'm sorry. But this was, but I actually, um, my wife is from Northern Virginia. 
So I married into a Redskins family. Okay. And uh, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> I was about to say, if I found out you were a Ravens <laughs> fan, I was going to have to stop the interview because I am a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I just, I, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to finish this interview with you. I'd have to just that's, cut it off. Fair enough. <laughs> sure. Um, getting back to politics here. Uh, so one of the things, and I mean, I was really humbled when, I mean, obviously this is, is going to be my first podcast. This is going to be my first show that I put out. And I didn't have, I mean, I have no history. It's one of those things where, you know, when you go to apply for a job, a lot of times they're like, you, you need experience to apply for this job, but you can't get um, experience if you don't have a job type thing. And so I was really humbled when I was able to get a hold of you to do this because um, you were able to, I mean... I have, no, I have no history with my podcasting right now, and you're willing to, you know, reach out and uh, talk with me. And one of the things I've noticed about, I mean, a lot of the libertarian candidates, uh, a lot of independent candidates, is that a lot of these guys are average Joes. Like, these guys are blue-collar workers. They're, like you said, business owners. They're not career politicians. Do you think that that scares people away from voting for them? I think it can if you don't play it right. Um, and I'll use an example of my own race because really what point is there in interviews if you can't self-promote? <laughs> so I'm running for mayor of Phoenix, Arizona, which is the fifth largest city in the country, uh, roughly 1.6 million people. We just passed Philadelphia. Um, I have two opponents who are both sitting or were sitting after resigned to run council members on the council, right? Tapped in, they're incumbents, stepped down for the special election. Between the two of them, they've raised almost $2 million, almost a million dollars. Actually, one of them's over a million. They may be both over a million by now. Who knows? But a million bucks, right? For a job that pays $88,000 a year. And it's really easy to take a look at, you know, my hundred and some thousand dollars and go, there's no way, right? He's kept the one outspent. It's, it's insane. But if you look at it the right way, why are they raising 10 times the salary for the job unless there's something that those people are getting for that, right? You know, if you look at the campaign finance reports, it's all the lobbyists and the developers and the attorneys who work with the city and the unions are all the ones backing these candidates. And you can go in there and you can say, look, I'm out knocking on doors. I'm out handing out literature. I knocked on 700 doors myself in 116 degree heat just to get on the ballot. We're going out and actually talking to people about what they care about. And you can cut through all of the money, all of the entrenchment and say, look, who do you trust to run your city? Is it somebody who's already bought and paid for? Or is it somebody who's just like you, who has a house, who has his kids in the schools, who, you know, runs a business in the city and, and is affected by the economy and just wants the city to work better for everybody else? And I think that more of our candidates are getting better at putting out that message where we take the things that they would use against us as a weakness, and we turn it into a strength. And that's a lot of politics. That's a lot of life. 
is it's kind of like in the martial arts. You don't fight strength with strength. You you turn it in a way so that you don't expend so much energy and you make a, a strength into a weakness. For example, Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, 2016, they raised like $12 million, which is a record for a Libertarian presidential ticket and very good job to them. Jeb Bush raised $160 million in that Republican primary before uh, the president got the nomination to get the nomination and fail. Money isn't votes. Money can't buy votes. Money isn't everything. And as soon as we let go of this fear that because we're not already established politicians, because we don't have as much money, because we don't have as much experience, because we don't, you know, look as flashy in a suit, and we go out there and we show people in our communities that we're a member of the community, this is our heart, this is what we care about, we want things to be better, and the old party politicians aren't delivering it, that's a message that resonates, and that's how we're going to start winning a lot more elections. One thing, and I I don't know how it... Uh how it affects on the level that you're you're running at it for the mayoral race. Um, obviously, right now they're doing the the midterm elections in a lot of states. And recently, because I, I live in South Dakota, and mm-hmm. we just um, they just ended the primaries for the governor race. And and one of the things that just frustrated me is that the campaign ads were and this is like I said, this is South Dakota, so you can just tell where the 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 message was when they were running their ads on TV, one of the candidates says, well, I'm a, you know, old school farmer. I grew up doing farming and I know how to shoot a gun and that's why you should vote for me. And then the other one said, well, I can shoot a gun and I was a farmer too and I can balance a budget. But I mean, they threw in all this stuff that, I mean, didn't, it doesn't apply to anything political really. Um, I really don't, you know, as a voter, I don't care, you know, if you have a horse or if you have, um, you know, I, and that's kind of one of the things that I, I seen with, um, the libertarians and, um, even, even, uh, I paid a lot of attention to Rand Paul when he was, you know, running on the Republican ticket because he sways that way a little bit more. I mean, he's still obviously very Republican, but he had some good movements, but uh, is that these people are talking about um, real issues, but they're not like sexy issues. You know what I mean? Uh, Gary Johnson spoke a lot about, um, you know, hey, we're over $20 trillion in debt, but he didn't um, speak on the hot topic issues that really don't affect a lot of what we do. You know what I mean? Like, uh, for example, right now there's this huge controversy with, you know, going back to the NFL about kneeling during the national anthem. Like it's really, it's not helping us get out of wars. It's not helping us, you know, get out of debt. It's not, you know, keeping, um, uh, nonviolent offenders out of prison, but it's something that is just blasted in the media and what politicians are talking about. Like, do you think uh, that both the, the GOP and the Democrats are just, 
using these, like I said, these sexy issues to try to gain votes rather than just um, focus on things that are actually going to benefit us going forward in this country. So the two old parties agree that we should spend more money than we actually have. They agree that we should continue to send our men and women overseas to die in other countries' civil wars. They agree that the government should have more power over how you live your day-to-day life. They agree on all of the issues that really matter. And so, of course, they're going to shift to something stupid, like whether or not players kneel before an NFL game or whether or not, um, you know, you can burn a flag, or something to just make people angry and insane. Because otherwise, people would point out, hey, you guys both agree that we should spend more money than we have, but we're $20 trillion in debt, so that's a bad idea, so I don't like either of y'all. And that's, there's a, there's a balancing act in politics. Because, yeah, do you have to show people that you look like them and you are like them and they can trust you and feel good about you? You do. And maybe that means you got to get a horse or a gun or whatever, <laughs> uh, depending on where you live. But at the same time, it is very powerful to go down to the heart of the issues that actually matter to people on a day-to-day basis. And, and to use another, just because my headspace is in municipal stuff, You know, there's a lot of grandstanding over Black Lives Matter versus, you know, back the blue and, you know, shootings and all this other stuff. When there's a real police issue that a lot of communities have, which is, you know, I talked to a lady who saw somebody expose themselves to her daughters in their backyard. She called the police and they didn't show up for an hour and a half and the guy was gone. Like the real issue is, do the cops show up when they're supposed to show up? Are they are they there on time? And how do we get those calls for service times down? That's a real issue that matters, not a protest or a march or some sort of thing that gets a lot of media attention. And so, as candidates, it's important to be likable because people don't vote for people they don't like. But it's also important to Find the thing that your old party opponents won't talk about because they have a gentleman's agreement that we're not going to talk about the thing we agree about because otherwise the libertarian would come and eat our lunch. And then talk about that all the time. You know, uh, in, in many states, still, even with some of the advances in the western part of the country, cannabis legalization is a big thing like that, where both of the old parties agree that we should lock people up for what they put in their own body. And you can get out in front of it and say, look, this is important. This is something that we're wasting our tax money on. This is something that's delaying the police from responding to real property or violent crime. This is something that's creating bad relations between the police and the communities they serve. And this is something that we could fix. And don't let them get away from it by just having them agree that we're not going to talk about that because, you know, it doesn't pull well or whatever. I have to bring up uh, something that happened here in South Dakota, I believe it was a couple years ago, that they had a big uh, meeting in the state 
House, uh, Senate, that they're trying to decide if South Dakota should uh, continue with daylight savings time. And, I mean, that was a big meeting for all them. And I just, you know, I, I felt like I was one of the only people that was just sitting back and being like, does no one else, like, realize that we're paying these people to go there and talk about this? <laughs> like, it is not an important issue when we have, you know, I mean, South Dakota has plenty of its own issues, you know, that need to be fixed, but yet we're, you know, we need to have our representatives go to go to the Capitol and talk about whether or not we should, you know, change uh, out of uh, daylight savings. Um, As an Arizonan, by the way, you should not have daylight savings time. It's one of the best things about this state <laughs> is we do not participate in the government changing our clocks. <laughs> But, and see, that's got to be difficult eventually because there's going to be a, you know, a lot of states that are going to switch on and out of that. So when you travel from state to state, and then you're going to have like, I don't know, it's just going to get confusing. I think we should just, there should just I be. I think we should repeal it nationally. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it should actually be part of the Libertarian Party platform, just repeal daylight savings time. Because it, it kills people. Daylight savings time kills people. Every time you change the clocks, you screw up people's circadian rhythms. There are more traffic accidents mm -hmm. at the beginning and the end of daylight savings time. Uh, it's just a giant waste of money. And it's one of those things, I mean, this is a classic government program. It used to be, it was a very short amount of time related to the war effort or farms or something. Right. right. Um, and then it got extended farther and farther so that now there's more daylight savings time than there is standard time. And the reason was the candy company lobbies lobbied to push it farther in the fall so that it would cover Halloween because if it's light longer, then more kids take more trick-or-treating candy. It's totally bizarre, but that's how... That is insane. I have never heard that before, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and, well, but that's the nature of government generally, is that there's this whole field of economics called public choice theory, which points out that if you're a group or an industry or a special interest or a person that wants the government to do something, you have a strong incentive to work really hard to make them pass a law that helps you out directly. But if you're just, you know, average citizen who pays an extra, you know, $5 on your income tax bill because of this stupid law, five bucks isn't enough for you to put up a fight, right? Like, right. you're not going to go and lobby against this because... What would be the point? Right? It's a five bucks. Who cares? And so public choice theory talks about how, you know, these concentrated special interests have more power than the rest of us because the rest of us only have to pay a little bit of the cost, even though it's a stupid thing to do. So the, the libertarian solution to all that is just let's have the government do a lot less stuff because you can't get rid of the incentive, but you can at least cut down the number of things the government's allowed to do so that there's less interest in trying to control it. Nick, you're making like way too much sense. And I just don't know if this is appealing to people because it, it is cut and dry. And I just don't think that's, that's uh, the right thing for a lot of people. At least it doesn't seem like it works these days. <laughs> um, it's different, but they'll get used to it. <laughs> so, how do you convince, I mean, one of the biggest things in the, you know, go in the 2016 or any election, really, is how do you convince voters that you 
a vote for an independent, a vote for a third party, you know, a vote for the Libertarian Party. How is that not a wasted vote? That was the biggest deal, you know, in 2016. Uh, you know, the Democrats, at least in my – the ones that I know, and I live in a very red state, but the Democrats that I know, you know, they, they argued with me that, you know, the Libertarians kind of gave the the election to, to Trump or whatever. But, I mean – you you look at the the results and i just had it pulled up so i could use it as a as a reference but you had gary johnson who had 4 4,488,000 popular votes um mm -hmm. which is the highest i believe the highest of any third party candidate in us history is that correct uh or at least for, it's the highest for any of the parties that still exist i think right. uh, george wallace the segregationist did better than that, but that was uh, odd. Yeah. So, going back to that, so how do you convince people that, you know, if, how do you, uh, how do you convince you them it's not a wasted vote? They're doing. So, um, I know you're a football fan. Do you ever bet on football? Um, occasionally, and I tend to lose a lot. Because okay. I tend to vote, right. I, I tend to bet on my Bengals, no. and it's just not a good idea anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, bookies love you. But uh, so yeah, you, you you bet on on the game, and so if the Bengals win, you get money. If the Bengals don't win, you don't get money. Right, like that's simple, and that's a good reason for you to hope that you pick the winner, because you get paid if you pick the winner. Most people don't have a bookie on the presidential race. There is no prize for voting for the winner. You got no money on the game, so who cares, right? Like, a vote is a statement of what you believe in. It's a statement of what you want. It is fundamental to our democracy. It's not a horse race. You don't win if you have the winning ticket, unless you have a good bookie, in which case I totally support picking the winner because that's how you're going to get paid. The... The, the, the key is you got to look at what the vote actually does. If you vote for what you want, you vote for Gary Johnson because you want to get out of foreign wars and you want to stop spending more money than we have and you want our country to get back to its core founding principles, Gary Johnson might not end up being president. But you have sent an unmistakable signal that that's what you want. And you've done it in the face of some really terrible propaganda designed to scare you into picking one of the moldy sandwiches. And that's an even more powerful signal because you've said, I'm going to stand up and vote for what I want and you can't scare me anymore, which makes you the most powerful voting bloc in the entire country. If you have a political race, this is a matter of like politics, how it works, right? You got... 47% for a Democrat, and you got 47% for a Republican, and you got 6% for a Libertarian. Assuming I can do that math, that adds up to 100%, right? <laughs> Pretty sure? I, yeah, I believe so. I'm not the one 40, to ask on that. 47, <laughs> 47, and 6. Who's the most powerful candidate in that race? That'd be the 6 percent six, uh, there. Right, because they cover the spread. They control the balance of power. And then the most important issues 
in the entire election are the libertarians' issues. The only thing that both the Democrat and the Republican will care about at that point is can they get close enough to the libertarians' issues to grab an extra percentage point? Can they do it? Can they sound libertarian enough? Can they promise enough libertarian stuff? You put them into a race to be libertarian, which, if that ends up with them shrinking government, assuming they get to the 48, and they get the office, then we've won. And we won without even having to take a crappy government job as the elected official. So it's like a double win. So how You just have to look at politics different from how the people who've designed the rigged system want you to look at politics. They want you to look at it as, you want to be on the winning team. Why? Do you have a job for me? Like, are, are you going to employ me as your chief of staff or something? That's another good reason. If you're a, a made lobbyist or you're going to be a chief of staff for a politician, then yeah, you should try and find the winning team because they're going to be the one that can give you the damn job. But otherwise, who cares? Right? Like, why be on a winning team for a guy who's going to do something bad to your country or your state? So, in your opinion, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you or tell you what I think how we should handle the 2020 election. You tell me if this is a good idea or not. This is how we should have handled the 2016 election. Instead of these big campaigns, you know, is what we do. We get one big tour bus. We put, and I'm going to use 2016 as the example. We put Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Gary Johnson, and Jill Stein on this bus, and they have to go campaign. They have to live in this bus together. They have to travel to 50 states. Well, obviously you can't take a bus to Hawaii, but you get my point. That they have to campaign together, and then they have to, they get the same amount of time, and they get, you know, they go to the biggest cities, whatever. They go to wherever. They have to visit every state. Uh, They campaign together, and they have to live together, and then we also make it a show that people can watch on TV. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> it would be awesome, and they never agree to it. But if you can, but if you can get the Democratic and Republican candidates to get on a bus, let's just not worry too much about the safety inspections on that bus. <laughs> um, no, it it would be great to have a more engaged electorate that actually is listening to the candidates and what they talk about, but. Malcolm X used to say, you're never going to get power from people who have power. They're never going to voluntarily give it to you. And the Republicans and the Democrats are never going to voluntarily agree to change the rules of the game so they're not rigged in their favor. Right? You have to literally kind of opt out of that and start thinking like Sun Tzu and the art of war. Right? You don't fight strength with strength. You don't you never try not to spend a Republican or a Democrat, right? That's, that's insane because they've got more money. But let, let, here's an example, right? A way to think about politics a little differently. So in Arizona, uh, one of our congressmen resigned because I guess he was going to try and impregnate one of his staffers. And that was somewhat scandalous. It was a weird thing. Anyway, he quit. So there's a special election for the race. Super solid Republican district, like plus 20 for the president. It was 
very Republican, safe seat if he can get it. But there's a special election wide open field. There was a Democrat who was getting close in the polls. Like, she looked like she was competitive. The National Republican Congressional Committee, the NRCC, uh, put over a million dollars into that race. And the Republican ended up winning the special election, and that same Republican will likely win the seat and then be in there permanently, like most Congress people are. So, what is the takeaway from that? That, you know, the Republicans can dump a million dollars into the race and, and, you know, just beat the crap out of any competitor? That's one takeaway. But here's the thing. The, the NRCC has millions of dollars. There are 435 congressmen. They don't have $435 million. They can't put a million bucks into every damn race. So one of the ways that you can sort of fight this asymmetrically, and one of the things that we're doing in the Libertarian Party uh, in the 2016 mid, or 2018 midterms is we have 40% more candidates running for office around the country, all over the country, than we had in the 2016 presidential year. We are going and putting candidates in more and more races and making the old parties defend what they might have thought was going to be safe territory. Because while they can beat us in any particular race with the application of just an insane amount of money from special interests, they can't beat us in all the races. They can't spread their resources around that much. And the funny thing about politics is it is asymmetrical. The Libertarian goes into a statehouse race and spends $5,000. The Republican or Democrat is going to have to spend fifty dollars or $100,000 to beat back that challenge. Now, they may still win, but you're going to bleed them out. You know, you're getting a 10 to 1 return on your investment. So you have to look at, like, the overall picture of politics. Start thinking about it like you're in a war, because it is kind of a war without, you know, killing people. Um, and think about it creatively. You know, um, if you start looking at the world that way, trying to find creative solutions to things and not just get locked into the, the game that they want you to play, you'll have a lot more success in life and politics, and, you know, just generally. It's kind of like the, you know, the, the theory of, if, or, um, what am I trying to say? With, uh, how Rome got so big, you know, the empire got so big that eventually it was too big and it collapsed because, you know, the smaller rising ups and whatnot. And kind of like what you're saying is that, you you know, these two parties, you know, if they're trying to focus their part, you know, their money and their finances and whatever in certain areas, they're going to lose at others. Yep. You just, you just, I mean, here's the thing. Take a look at, um, you know, Afghanistan. How many foreign powers have tried to control Afghanistan? How many thousands and millions of dollars? How many hundreds of thousands of lives have been spent trying to control uh, a mountainous country without a lot of natural resources. And yet, everybody still keeps getting their their armies beaten by these guys that live in the mountains. Because they're fighting on their terrain, they're fighting for where they live, and, you know, you just can't sustain... They're not going to all come out and stand out in the middle of a field and get shot. 
right? They're going to make it unpleasant for you to be there. Politics is is kind of like war without the fighting, and well, that's, being that's, uh, in that's politics, <laughs> being in politics in a non, you know, dominant party is kind of like guerrilla warfare more than you know standard traditional tactics. But that's the guerrillas always win, right? You know, having a bunch of guys line up in bright red jackets looks really intimidating if you're, you know, the British fighting the French in Europe. But having a bunch of guys out in the field in bright red jackets when you've got a bunch of American colonists in the trees, that just creates good targets. I mean, I personally hope, and I kind of to wrap this up, I've kind of taken up more of your time than I told, uh, <laughs> told your uh, scheduler that I would take, but uh, to kind of wrap it up. I mean, are you hopeful that, you know, the future of politics um, will have more room for either independents, third parties, uh, um, in your case, especially libertarians? Do, do you do you foresee the the transition of politics going that way? And one of the things I, I kind of refer to, you know, going back to, you know, when I was I when I defend myself voting for a third party, um, you know, back in um, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was a third-party candidate. You know, so that kind of started swaying the the direction of politics back then. So, do you foresee third party being a uh, stronger power going forward? You know, 2018, 2020. Um, like just in reference to like libertarian party fastest growing party so how do you how do you see the future of the politic or the political uh, scenery with that so I am firmly convinced that in my lifetime the libertarian party will be the dominant political party in the United States we will displace either the Republicans the Democrats or both um, and I don't really care which one comes first <laughs> the the reason behind that is one, People are naturally libertarian, right? It's very close to the ideals the country was founded on, this idea that as long as you're peaceful, you should be allowed to live your life the way you choose without government interference. It opens up the, the ability for the free market and for opportunity and innovation without having bureaucrats tell you what to do and get involved in your personal life. It's also the only political party that recognizes that there are limits to how much money we can spend, especially if it's money that we take in taxes from our children, and none of the old parties are, are owning up to that. But the other part of it is, I mean, I looked at the crosstabs from Gary Johnson's polling results in 2016, and old people didn't vote for him that much, and middle-aged people voted for him a little bit, and then young people were, like, the numbers were astounding. I was seeing polls where he was picking up, like, 25% of the under 25 vote, 25%, right? Which is more than what he ended up getting from the whole electorate. So one of the reasons that, you know, you refer, I refer to the, the two old parties as old parties is they've been around longer, but they're also made up of old people and old people until we find a way to live forever, they, they pass on and they're not being replaced. And so as, our country grows, 
our party is going to grow naturally and those two old parties will continue to decline. You know, we're doing everything we can to accelerate that decline and, you know, kind of take them out and throw them in the dumpster that they belong in. <laughs> but eventually we're getting there anyway because people are just generally more libertarian. Like, look at some of the hot-button culture issues from, you know, the last couple of de decades, things like marriage equality. That used to be a real controversy. Find me somebody who's under 35 who even cares. Like, it's just, they're totally libertarian on that issue. Find me somebody under 35 who thinks that people should be locked up for smoking weed. There's, I mean, the whole generational shift is going libertarian, and we're just trying to be ahead of the puck. Kind of like Wayne Gretzky used to say. It's not about being where the puck is. It's about being where the puck's going to be. And that's what we're doing. That uh, kind of sums up all of the questions I had written down anyways. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, you you know, I don't even have anything published yet. This is going to be my first published podcast. And, I I mean, you're, you're a pretty big deal in the Libertarian Party and the political climate. And to reach out and do this for me is awesome. So how can, uh, how can people um, – get more information about you and the Libertarian Party and um, just, uh, I guess, some education in general. Like, what would you, how would you uh, reach out to them? Yeah, well, the first thing to do is visit lp.org. Sign up, join as a member. Uh, we'll get in touch with you. You get a snazzy-looking membership card. But more importantly, you'll get information and updates about what's going on in your local area, what candidates are running in your state, your community, and really get tapped in to um, something that's bigger than yourself. You know, there's a lot of people who have shifted to being independent away from the old parties. Being a libertarian is a way to kind of put a name to your independence and not feel like you are on your own. Um, if people want to follow what I'm doing, um, on Twitter, it's at nsarwark. I'm on Facebook, it's Facebook slash nsarwark. Um, I'm on Instagram, it's nsarwark. I think I'm on Snapchat, it's probably still nsarwark. So the nice thing about having a unique last name is you get all the... <laughs> you don't have to fight for handles. names. Um, and if you want to check out what I'm doing in the mayoral campaign, kind of see what it looks like when somebody runs for office as a libertarian uh, and, and how to present that, in a municipal sense, which is a little different because it's nonpartisan technically. It's uh, sarworkforphoenix.com. Awesome. Thank you once again for doing this. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, as this podcast grows, that uh, I can have you back on and we can keep talking because uh, if it was up to me and if you didn't have, um, you know, a busy schedule, I could probably talk to you about this kind of stuff for the next three hours. But, um, I have a nine to five tomorrow, and I'm assuming you have uh, other responsibilities as well. I, I do. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm honored to be your first guest, and I hope that uh, everything is successful and you keep up with it, and that uh, you do what you can to try and spread those libertarian values in your own state. Once again, I'd like to thank our guest, Nicholas Sarwark, for our first episode. Uh, very glad he could be my first guest, and he was an awesome person to be able to 
interview and talk about third-party politics and to be able to introduce more people to a third option when it comes to politics. Uh, coming up next week, I have... Whoops, did I say next week? Sorry, guys, we're not on that frequency yet. Two weeks from now, we will have Chris Cluey, the former NFL Minnesota Vikings punter. He will be discussing politics and sports with me. Uh, looking forward to doing that, and I'm looking forward looking forward for you guys to be able to hear it. And hopefully I'll learn how to talk better by then. Uh, thanks again, guys, for joining me on my first episode. Thank you for your support. And continue to keep up with me on Facebook at Break It Up Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Break, on Instagram at Break It Up Podcast, and on Snapchat at Break It Up Cast. I think that's all the social media I can give you guys. All right, guys, have a great one. Thank you.